We looked at verse number 9 the other day. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Heavenly Father, we pray for direction this evening as we consider this short passage of Scripture. May there be something here for each and every one of us as children of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's been a very, very long time. Very long time. But uh, at some point in history, years and years and years ago, Satan was permitted to come into the very presence of the Lord. And there are all kinds of theological aspects to that, questions for which I have no answer, why that was permitted, so on and so forth. Uh, There's a lot of it we don't understand. But I think that the Lord's point in allowing Satan to come in for that visit was so that the Lord could point to Job and say, look, Satan, take a look at Job. I'd like you to take a look at Job. He asked Satan where he's been. Oh, I've been just going up and down, seeking whom I might devour. I've I've been busy. Well, uh, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Verse number eight. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? <coughs> Note the last two words of that verse. Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's been a faithful man to me, and uh, he hates sin. At that point... Satan was given permission to take everything that uh, Job possessed. Job endured for the next several hours a horrific life. One thing after another was taken from him. His wife left him. And then at the end of chapter 1 we read, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. This was all well and good because he was under the wings, he was on the solid rock, he loved the Lord, and whatever the Lord intended for him was okay with him. Well, sometime after that, we don't know how long it was, we come to chapter 2 of Job. And once again, Satan is coming into the presence of the Lord, and the Lord once again says, look at Job. You threw everything you had at him, and he would not crumble. He's standing firm. He's rejoicing in my grace. He's a a good man. Recognize that. What do you think about Job, Satan? Well, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give 
for his life. We don't know how many generations passed between Adam and Job. We don't know how many decades, how many centuries it's been. It's been quite a while. And I think we can safely say that during that time, the devil, Satan, has been whittling away or working away on the mindset of humanity. When man has no hope of eternity, and all he has are these 70 years or 960 years or whatever it was up until the days of Job, uh, then what happens is we tend to consider this life more importantly than we should, more important than we should. If in this life only, if in this life only, to paraphrase Paul, if all we have in this life is this life, then we better make the best of it. Better make the most of it. Do what we can to enjoy this life. The natural life is all some people have. And it's natural for these people with only natural life to do all they can to keep that life. So we start going to doctors, we start taking our vitamins, uh, we do these things anyway, whether we're going to live a long time or not. We uh, do everything we can, we exercise, we <coughs> implement, because this is all we have. But the child of God, of course, we have more than that. But here we are, trying to maintain this, this earthly life that we have, making the best of it. We want to uh, have as much food as we can have. We want to uh, not only eat well, but uh, we want the sun to shine on us. We want uh, the Lord's blessings. We want the best that this life has to offer. With that in mind, what would you do to save your life? Uh, I'm not talking about what would you do to save the life of your child. What would you do to save the life of your uh, wife? What would you do to save your life, whether you're a man or a lady? Would you, like Abraham, lie? Oh, Pharaoh, I'd like to introduce you to my sister here. Uh, why? Because I'm afraid you'll kill me for her. And he did it again later with Abimelech. What would you do to save your life? Would you kill another person to save your life? You know, it could very well be, this is hypothetical of course, it could very well be that if you submitted to this one who's threatening your life, you may at some later point, be able to talk to him about the Lord. My life is nothing to me. It belongs to the Lord. If you want to take it, I can live with that, so to speak. I can suffer this thing. Uh, maybe at some point down the road, uh, we can talk to that person about Christ because of our willingness to give up our life. But if we decide we have to kill that man in order to spare our life, then it could very well be that we not only uh, 
have lost that man. He's dead now. But maybe there are others that we can no longer minister to because we have taken this life. Paul was in that ship headed toward Rome, but he's in the middle of that terrible storm, Eurocladon. And the storm is driving that little tiny ship toward Malta. And the sailors, who have a great deal invested in that ship, decide our lives are more important than the cargo here. So they start throwing wheat into the sea. They may have been bankrupt at the end of that, but their lives were more important than their wheat or their cargo or their, their uh, profit. What would you do to save your life? What would the Lord want you to do to have the best kind of life that we could have? Now we're shifting from the, uh, the lost to the saved. What would the Lord have you do to make the best of your life? Well, Peter says, here it is. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile, let him eschew evil and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. If you want to have the best kind of life, Peter says, here's what you need to do. And he gives us some instructions. There's no way to get around this. If you want to have a good life, you want to have the best of life, then here are Peter's suggestions. Number one, learn to control that tongue of yours. He's already touched on this. Speak no evil. Don't participate in any sort of guile. Remember in chapter 22, chapter 2 and verse number 22, when he's talking about the sinlessness of Christ, he says, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Here's our standard. No guile. You want to have the best of life? Then learn to control that tongue of yours. And James tells us, that's a tough one. The tongue is an unruly evil. It just goes where it wants to go. We get caught in a, a, a trap and we utter a lie to get out of it. We uh, get angry and we blurt out some foul word. We're not, we, don't, we don't talk like that. But circumstances come along and all of a sudden, there it is, coming out of our mouth because we've heard it so often from other people. Learn to control that tongue. If you want to live a good life, if you love life and want to see it extended, then learn to control your tongue. Then he says, issue evil. Shun. Avoid like the plague. Any sort of evil. Any sort of uh, sinfulness. Job did that. We're to do that. Job didn't have all the New Testament instruction that we have. He didn't have the same number of examples that we have. But he knew that this is the way to please the righteous God. God is holy. He doesn't want us messing with sin. When it comes your way in any form of temptation, push it aside. Eschew that evil. 
And in the contrast, do good. Make your life as positive as possible. When you come into a room, make it a brighter room than it was before. When you leave a room, leave it with the fragrance of God's grace. Do good. Make your life positive. Bend over backwards to be a blessing to people. Don't wait for a requirement. Oh, you need to do this. Do those things which are not needed. Do good. We have a contrast here. Evil, good, evil, good. Stay away from that evil. Do good. They are totally opposite. And then he says, seek peace. Ensue it. Pursue it, if you like. Seek peace and pursue it. I don't know if I shared this with you before, but uh, a few weeks ago in my reading, in regard to evangelism and missions, a man said, you know, the Christian is in the, biz- in the peace business. Have I said that before? If I haven't, it'll be in the bulletin at some point, assuming I get my computer back. Um, we're in the peace business. We are in the midst of people who are at war with God. Evangelism is the ministry of, of bringing this rebel to his knees before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians. Let's get that right. 2 Corinthians 5. There we go. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Okay? Old things are passed away. The rebellion that we once have, had, it's gone. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So the enmity that was between us and God has been removed by the death of the Lord Jesus and he has drawn us to himself through Christ. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has left with us the job of bringing others to the Lord. He's been gracious to us in receiving us Now we have this responsibility. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, the responsibility of bringing these people to the Lord. Now then, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Here's our job. To reconcile people to the Lord as best we can. How can we minister peace between the Lord and our neighbor when our neighbor does not like us because we have offended him? We have done things which broke the bond of peace that we once had or thwarted any 
possibility of peace with him at some point. How can we give to our neighbor the gospel of reconciliation if we have not been reconciled to our neighbor? What does Peter say? Here's the way to have a really good life, a long life, a life of love, seeing good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil, let his lips speak no guile, let him eschew evil, do good, and seek peace and ensue it. Assuming that you are a thinking person, I trust that this is the case, and I've led you in this direction just a little bit. You should see a problem here. What is a good life? Did Job have a good life? We are told in order to have a good life, we need to eschew evil. Job eschewed evil. Did he have a good life? There was a while there in his life when he did not want to live. It was not a good life. It was full of pain, physical and other kinds. He had a horrible life. He hated it. He doesn't fit in to Peter chapter 3 right here. And yet, we're supposed to fit in here, do the same things, sort of things that Job was doing, and it comes out all right? Hmm. How do we justify Job's godly way of living and the fact that he did not appear to have a good life? A life that he loved. Despite verses 10 and 11, this is it. The quality of our life is not dependent on our, on us. It's not dependent on our obedience. It doesn't matter how many rules and regulations we've been able to learn and implement in our lives. We are not in control. We can follow the rules of the road. We can go uh, 70, no, 68 miles an hour down I-90, and we cannot stop that drunk who is going up the wrong side of the highway at 100 miles an hour. We don't control all of those things. We are not in control of our lives. Paul told the philosophers on Mars Hill, in Acts chapter 17, in God, in Jehovah, in the God of Israel, we live and move and have our being. Even Job, in the Lord's hand, is at the point of, or he is capable of, having a good life. Even when things are falling apart. If the love of life is a part of us, and we want to see good days, the point is we need to put the Lord first. If we are seeking a great life, chances are we're not going to have a great life. If we're seeking the Lord, then it's guaranteed there will be a good life involved here. Because the Lord is watching. Verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. 
but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The Lord is watching. He's not unaware of what's happening in Job's life or your life. In fact, the Lord knows exactly where Satan is and what he is doing. He didn't ask Satan, where have you been? Because he didn't know. It was like the questions that Brother Austin was mentioning on Sunday morning. It's for Satan's point or purpose that the question was asked. The Lord knows what's going on because the Lord is listening. Is Job crying out in pain? The Lord knows that. Is he praying about these problems? The Lord hears those. Just leave it with the Lord. The Lord is familiar with us and our needs. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. We will never leave his sight. It doesn't matter how dark the clouds get. We'll never leave his sight. It doesn't matter if we've been swallowed by a whale. The Lord sees us in there. Or if we're in a cave on Mount Sinai. The Lord knows we're in there. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. They never escape his sight. He has given his son for their redemption. He's not going to give up on them. And his ears are open unto their prayers. So, put the Lord first. Things going wrong? Has it been a terrible 24 hours in your life? then go to the Lord. Talk with Him about that. Because He cares about us. And He opposes the sinner. The last part of that verse. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The face of the Lord. It's not a happy face in this case. No big smile on that face. It's kind of interesting, uh, we'll get to a scripture in just a minute from the book of Psalms, but in the book of Leviticus, we have statement after statement, chapter 17, chapter 20, verse after verse after verse, which, in which the Lord says, I have set my face against that person, that sinner, and it means that he shall be cut off, cut off from Israel, cut off from life. Cut off from eternal life. The face of the Lord is against them. It's a horrible thing to have the face of the Lord against anyone. A terrible thing. These three verses, 10, 11, and 12, are Peter's paraphrase of Psalm 34. Please turn to Psalm 34. It is as though uh, the, he has just talked about not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing. And then in the back of his mind, there is that memory verse that pops up that he learned so many years ago. And he automatically quotes it or paraphrases it. Psalm 34 comes at a point in David's life which was not, uh, how shall I put it? He has just spent time uh, cowering before a new Abimelech. This is not Abraham's Abimelech, this is David's Abimelech. And in order to escape the 
problem that David has created for himself by living among the Philistines, he pretends to be insane. And he escapes. You notice the uh, preface to the psalm. Psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Now, David has escaped. He is still fleeing from Saul. He is still in danger from the Philistines. He is still out of place before the Lord, at least to some degree. And yet, listen to his words. I will bless the Lord at all times. Even when everything's going wrong. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast before the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Others will rejoice with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and you know he heard me. His ears are open unto our prayers. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions, now they want they do lack. They suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Seek the Lord. That's how to have a good life. Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then what Peter referred to. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. Pretty good quote. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open unto their cry. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut them off from the remembrance, uh, the remembrance of them from the earth. David was a man who's in love with life. And in order to enjoy it, he needed to draw close to the Lord. He strayed. He got himself into trouble. But he's working his way back. Those that love life turn to the Lord. And then we have verse number 16 down to the end. Oh, by the way, verse 22 the Lord redeemeth the souls of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be eternally desolate. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut them off, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. There's that face of the Lord and the cutting off once again. The righteous cry, the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, as in Job. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. How do we have the best of this life? What should we do to enjoy the best? 
put God first. <coughs> Follow his precepts. We have a few of them given to us by Peter. We have many others throughout the word of God. There will be hiccups, as they say. There will be those days that are just the, uh, the pits. We will be in pain. We will have suffered loss, uh, this, that, and the other thing. Or a long period of time like it was with, with Job. There will be the problems. But all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Our exhortation is to abide with the Lord. Stay on the rock. Keep under the wings. Seek the Lord and his face and these blessings will be added unto you. The key is the Lord, not what we do to please the Lord. Put him first, and if he should say, hmm, problems, then we know that the Lord will work those problems out eventually.